And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. We welcome back to the show tonight the lovely, the amazing Miss Nancy Dannison, who's going to share some more of her insights from being in the afterlife. If this is the first time you've heard of Nancy, because we have so many new listeners to the show, especially in the past few months, Nancy has one of the most profound after-death experiences ever recorded and there's just nothing to compare it to and she provides uh, insights i always find that uh, nancy's shows are, are healing and they help others and actually this show is dedicated to a gentleman named steve archdeacon i've i've known this uh, man since i was a kid and he used to kick my ass on the basketball court up and down. He forever destroyed my dream of becoming an NBA superstar because there's no, I mean, this kid would just kill me. I thought I was cool. He would just show me. He used to wear these thick goggles and he just, it was just the, the face of just defeat every time. But he's a real cool guy and I saw him recently and I, I saw how he was interacting with other people and he was just like, he was like, lighting up other people they were just so happy to see him and he was just making them feel good but i also can sense that um there was a sadness around him and he told me uh, what was going on and i just felt completely uh, awful because here's a person out there that is is just making other people feel so good yet you know they're sad inside but there's a you know a good reason for it and you know i want this show specifically to, to hopefully uh bring Steve some measure of peace and other people some measure of peace, especially those that are going through a very a tough period of time and losing someone. I mean, I think you know, losing someone is the worst thing about uh, life. It's, it's the hardest, the most devastating, and the shittiest part about life. And, you know, Nancy always, I think she always provides a um, beauty and reassurance and comfort that, you know, this is not the end. This is a fraction of of a fraction of a millionth of a percent of what reality is all about. Let us begin tonight's show. Well, we bring back to the show for the 35th and 40th time. I say this with a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> Nancy L. Danson, Jarrah's doctorate. She is a best-selling author of at least five books. Uh, one of them is Backwards Guides book, which I actually read on a somewhat consistent basis to pull back from reality because human life can be absolutely insane. But uh, Nancy is a writer, retired healthcare lawyer, former litigator of a prestigious 270 uh, attorney law firm. And she also does, does private coaching. You can learn more about Nancy by going to her website at backwardsbooks.com. Nancy, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I don't think it's the 35th or the 40th time. Oh, but... <laughs> I think it's like, I think it's close. You, you came, you, you came to this coach. Yeah. It, you, Discovered the show back in 2014. I think we were on our fourth episode, and you appeared. 
And it's like, wow. really? Yeah, you were the you were the first person that ever sent a book in for the show. You're like, you know, I got this book and I read and yeah, I think you I think you were like a fourth or fifth guest. It was it was that um historical and that was going back eight years ago. It's pretty amazing. Well, I'm honored. So, oh, my pleasure. So this past weekend, I was with a couple of guys. Uh we were talking about stuff, and the one thing I always bring up is death. I mean, everyone's talking about death, death. So we had this long conversation, and all these new questions came up. I was like, oh, you know, all these questions that we're curious about. So I want to know if we can just bring people, um, kind of pull them back a little bit and kind of give them a little bit of recap. You have this profound after-death experience, by saying you've died three different times and you go into the afterlife. And they're the one, the, a lot of people say, well, you know, this is strange. Afterlife doesn't exist. You just go into nothing. And you discover it's something completely different. From your perspective, when you observed your body leaving your spirit leaving what is that like for some people like what can people expect when they are ready to transition from out of the body and into the spirit world is this something that generally scares most people is it something that they become comfortable with as it goes on for longer periods of time it didn't scare me i wondered what was going on but since it was obvious to me that i wasn't dying because i was completely aware and awake it it didn't scare me but and, and I, I don't think everyone's death is the same, but for me, what happened was first my eyesight started dimming. It's like I lost all peripheral vision and I got like tunnel vision and then the color went out of it. So just black and white vision. And then my vision went out entirely. And then my hearing went out. And the next thing I know, I felt like I was sinking down inside my body, like the, the okay. person that was me was actually pulling out of the arms and the legs and the head. And then I just popped out kind of at the belly button level and stood in front of my body. But I um, thought it was really, really cool, not scary. <laughs> and when it happened for the second and third time, was it very similar? It was a very similar transition. We kind of like you sense you knew that this was going to happen, what was going on. No, the um, second time is just really sudden. I was just out of my body and in the afterlife, but I, I don't remember any kind of process to that one. The third one, I was really, really sick. I mean, I was so sick that I couldn't even, you know, roll over or, you know, I was nauseous and sweating and had convulsions. That was not fun. Oh, jeez. And when... My understanding is that, okay, the spirit is in the body and the body's goals maybe is just to stay alive as long as possible. When do you find that the body and the spirit become noticeably different? Like, is there a point where this, does the body fight as long as possible to stay alive even before or after the soul has left? Like, how do you, when do, the, when do they kind of go their own separate ways? What point or the process did they kind of part ways? Well, except for me, it was a gradual the first and the third times. The second time, it was just you know, kind of instantaneous. Um, but see, what happens, Ryan, is when you, the soul, you see, you're the soul. You're not the body. Mm-hmm. Your consciousness, your awareness, your, your concept of self is the soul. And so when you sense that you're getting out of the body, you can't feel what's going on with the body. 
Okay. So, you know, but, I don't know what, what it's doing. <laughs> but in that transition, does the spirit kind of align with the body? Because that is what the spirit maybe has been accustomed to or remembering for the last X number of years being associated with the body. So does, does the, um, when you're kind of, when you're exiting the body, does the spirit in a lot of ways take on the, the, the human uh, personalities of fear and unnerving this because knowing that it is something that maybe doesn't remember or is unfamiliar with. So I'm saying, is it a custom for people to be, to be generally very afraid during this process? Is it something for people to, you know, have human like feelings and emotions while this process is happening because they, they have not yet or fully remembered what it's like to be a total spirit as opposed to being a spirit occupying a human body. I think it depends entirely on what's causing the death. Um, for example, if you know you've been in an automobile accident and you're laying on the pavement and you're bleeding, yes, you can be afraid. And as you're getting out of the body, you will feel that fear until you're out. Once you're out, you don't feel fear anymore. Um, but I think if, you, if you're not aware that you're dying, there, I don't see any reason why there would be any fear. Okay. I appreciate that answer. And I believe it was one of the previous times we spoke talking about how the spirit can sometimes leave before the body fully expires. Is there, I mean, when people die, is that something that, that can be common? Can you, can you call upon your spirit to leave before your body goes through an excruciatingly amount of pain? And do a lot of people um, escape the pain of the body while it uh, you know goes to its final demise? I don't know about a lot of people, but I know it is possible um, for us souls to get out of the body before it dies. I, I've seen it. I've done it. Okay. Is that something where you, you pray, you, you pray for your spirit to leave if you're in a situation like that? So it's no, not I, no, no, because there's no, you just do it. Okay. We souls are in complete control of our own lives and we decide when to leave the body. And when people and souls incarnate into their bodies, are there, I mean, can they pretty much leave at any given time? Are there like set periods or windows of opportunity, uh, if you want to call it predestiny in any capacity, where a spirit will, will say, okay, this is the time we learn what we need to learn, we're out. I'm just curious how that works. Is there, um, do, do all spirits come in to the human form knowing that there's a date that they may not be aware of consciously when they're set to leave here? No, I don't think there's any, there's no predetermined date. Okay. My understanding from the afterlife is that we do sort of pre-plan an exit strategy, you know, a way that we will leave human life. But once we get into the body, we start manifesting life moment by moment. And so it's always changing. And so whatever we thought might be our exit strategy can change over the course of that animal body's lifetime. Okay. So uh, sometimes, you know, a person could show up at a random event and like, say, I mean, one thing that's usually happening in the U S is that there are a lot of shoot. Like, well, they said, like, it's a lot of mass shootings going on or the yeah. crime that's kind of random. So for a person to show up there at any point in time, is that just kind of an act of randomness? Is that part, is there anything that would necessarily draw that person into that experience? Would their soul say, look, okay, it's time to leave. I'm going to manifest an event that will give us out of here. I'm just curious if there's any kind of reason behind it. Is that just kind of randomness of human behavior? Do you mean if a soul gets shot in one of these mass shootings? Yeah. So, yeah. So if if a soul like, 
if there is a an, a particular act of violence, say for example, a person could show up in a, at a place ten minutes before or leave ten minutes early, and for some reason they'll miss like a, an event where they could put their lives in particular danger. If oh, a spirit okay. want, if a spirit is determined, saying okay, we, we our time is up here. We've completed the evolution. We, we need an exit ramp to get off and to go back to source, go back to eternity. Does the spirit kind of manifest a situation or guide the body towards a situation like in a random act of violence where it will leave? Or is that random act of violence something that is just part of being human? It's something that can happen anytime. It's what makes life very frail and that would be one to be cherished at any point in time. I think it can be both, but I think more likely um, the soul has uh, manifested the opportunity to be at one of these um, you know, mass shootings or disasters. Let me give you an example. Um, I had a friend who is a near-death experiencer who was talking to my IONS group. IONS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. He was part of the military program called Remote Viewing. You know, back in the, I think it was the Vietnam War. I don't know if he's that old. Yeah, I think it was the Vietnam War. The government had a program where they used um, people who were, they were called remote viewers. They were kind of like psychic. And he was one of them. And when 9-11 happened, uh, he was called by his former, uh, I think it was in the Army Command, to come to some government center where they had several other remote viewers there from the old program from, you know, years ago. And they, and they were asked to see what they could see about nine 11, you know, what caused it, you know, how did it happen? Why did it happen? You know, any information that they could get about nine 11. And so using his remote viewing skill, he communicated with a lot of the souls that were in the twin towers. And a lot of them told him that they had agreed beforehand to leave this earth together in that disaster. Wow. That's, that's so wild. And it makes you really wonder that if there's a disaster out there, is there any way that a person could say, well, look, I don't want to go like that. I don't want to, you know, leave. I've got a family. Is there anything you can do to kind of nix that agreement? I mean, well, because you were in the body, your spirit's in the body right now. If you say, look, you know, I'm, I'm kind of digging life. I, I don't want to leave. I, I'm not going to do that. Can you just cancel it? I don't know. Okay. Um, just to, to come to give people a little bit more of um, a visualization, you get out of the body and you died first three times and you get out and you, you realize you're out there. And did you go into like this dark void? Because I've, I've had an experience where I've actually gone into a, a void where it's just complete darkness and there's no, there's nothing there. And I was just wondering it, did you go there and, and then light all of a sudden came? Like, how would you visually describe your process? The first time I, when I first popped out of my body, I, the first thing I did was I turned around and looked and I could see that my body was behind me sitting in the chair. And I went, cool. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and then I looked forward and realized that everything was black. So I was in a, a black Void isn't really the right word, but it's the only English word that fits. It was, there. I could sense 
things or beings, or I could sense something, some presence was there, but I couldn't see anything. The other two times I, I just, my second and third afterlife experiences were what I call council meetings. I was going there to meet with a council of beings that are monitoring my mission. And I just went directly from in the body to the council meeting. You know, I went through blackness, but I didn't go into the light. The first time after I was in the blackness for a while, I saw a pinpoint of light. And I said to myself, oh, I know what this is. I'm supposed to go into the light. And I did. But I have been, I'm working on a new book now. And I've been reading the experiences of other uh, afterlife experiencers like mine that had very deep um, visits to the afterlife. And I have learned through them that uh, you don't always see the light. A lot of times you go into the afterlife and it's from a perceptual perspective, it's all dark or the light can be dark blue or it can be orange or yellow or gray. You know, it's, there's no requirement that anybody go into the white light uh, and in fact, many cultures, I read research that many cultures don't have that tunnel going into the light concept at all. They go into a cave or they go across a plain or they go across a river. So the white light is not a universal feature. It's not something that we all go into at death. Each experience is unique. You know, because of that, is, does that unique experience have anything to do with the recent experiences that the spirit saw through the eyes of the human being of the body that it was occupying. So I don't think so. Okay. It just varies. But at some point that after that, I mean, I always find the one thing that's so fascinating is the life review because I was just talking to my mother about something and everyone was upset because they had this guy who, who murdered 17 people in, in Florida's mass shooting. And they were like upset because, oh, you know, well, they didn't put him to death and, you know, he's going to experience the rest of his life in prison. And a couple of things set on my mind. Well, you know, when you die, eventually, is it true that, you know, when you go, that you eventually see and experience every single thing that you ever did to harm someone or help someone, you experience the totality of every action that you put out? If you die and are in the afterlife long enough, you will have a life review. Uh, most near-death experiencers are not in the afterlife long enough. Um, but those who do have a life review, they come in two flavors. Um, the, the souls that, um, let's say that they either died um, and were resuscitated you know, by medical personnel, and so they weren't in the afterlife very long, or they died and were told it wasn't their time and they chose to come back. And so they weren't in the afterlife very long there. If they have a life review, they will probably just see the events of the human life. They just left. It'll be like watching a movie. Okay. But what, <coughs> excuse me, but those of us who've had deep afterlife experiences have a different life review. We have one where we not only see and, and feel and relive everything from the human life or whatever life we just left. But we also have all of our questions answered. We get to know 
you know, why other people did what they did, you know, why things happened the way they did. You know, we, we get the why answered for all the aspects of our life. We also see our, our just past life from the standpoint of all the other people that were around us. So it's like in this conversation during, you know, my life review, I will be able to not only remember and relive my end of the conversation in the life review, I will be inside you and watch the conversation and participate in the conversation from inside you and hear all your thoughts and all your comments and feel how you're feeling. I am so worried right now because I, I just, I had a thought, I'm thinking about, I thought about pizza for the last 30 seconds. So just disregard that. I was that. thinking about pizza too. I got that. Can you fast forward through that section? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also in uh, the life review that we have when we die permanently, um, mm. we get to see, you know, what would have happened if we'd chosen something else or what would have happened if we'd, you know, made a different decision. You know, it's a comprehensive review of all possibilities. And then we also participate in the life review with the feeling of unconditional love so that we're not, it's not a horrifying experience. It's being inside bliss with a sense of unconditional love and watching what we did and how we thought and how we felt with a, a huge degree of love and curiosity and interest and not you know grief and regret and and shame it's oh, awesome um you know what when people are talking about this uh it seems like that everyone wants to stay alive and they all though i mean it's 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 hard it's kind of weird to say this but it's like you know, as tragic as death is it seems like it's fantastic in one way because you get to have those questions answered i think the obviously the the worst things about it is that you you leave people behind and you you your, your life ceased to exist in the physical form but i guess that there's also like the, the positive thing you have all these questions that are answered do you also have a situation within that review of what would have actually happened had you not actually died, what life would have been like had you actually continued to live and not made a decision which brought you there originally? I have read afterlife experiences of maybe one or maybe two um, souls that did have that. I don't have any knowledge myself from the afterlife about that. Okay. I just find that really fascinating. And, um, when, when you were in the afterlife, you were out of the human body, and you, you know, you had this greater understanding of what it was like—not that your point of attraction was not to be human, that you were spirit. Was this reality a more or less a video game? Is this something where it's kind of, you know, being played out for uh, the soul's personal amusement that they want to see what it's like to be a human, walk around? Is this the reality kind of fake? Um, human life is the only reality that the human animal will ever know. It's not fake. It's not a video game. It's not a movie. It's not something for the amusement of the soul. It's true life for the human animal. It's all it'll ever get in terms of a life. For the soul, it's true experience 
true emotions, true feelings, true learning what it's like to do certain things, it's an eye-opening experience. It's remembered for eternity. So it's not something to be taken lightly. Okay. Um, yeah, no, you asked if um, it's... Um, if human life is crucial for the understanding for the soul's yeah. understanding of its purpose, mm-hmm. human life isn't crucial to any, anything or anybody except the human, you know, mm-hmm. while we're inside humans, we have extremely narrow focus, extremely narrow thinking. Humans believe they're the center of the universe. When in fact, they're just a teeny tiny little speck of insignificant <laughs> matter. And, you know, among billions and billions and billions and billions of other creatures, so human life isn't designed for to be any kind of workshop or theater or school or anything for the soul's edification. You know, we souls can incarnate anywhere in the universe into anything, any kind of physical matter at all. And there's so much to learn. Humans offer just a teeny, 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 teeny little slice of experience. Okay. I'm glad you said, because I feel that way. And, Nancy, I'm very blessed to have you in my life and to have um, you know my family. I love them very much, but I I thought human being. I think I think when I was like six, I was like, hey, I'm done. Like I just want to I want to have more experiences, and it's very limited within this body. It's very like constricted and constrained, and um, you know, I don't know. There's other civilizations, and speaking for the civilizations, real quick, we've had a couple people on our show, Nancy that have been, um, I say channels or let's say they, they, they call them ambassadors for uh, other beings within the galaxy. They say that they're, they're, they're these beings called the Arturians that apparently trying to communicate with human beings. And these civilizations, according to our people we had on, they're millions of years old. So they've had, they've been around a lot longer than human beings have. And I don't know where they came from, but if human beings were to exist for millions of years or had the opportunity could they evolve um, on their in their minds and their spirit to an advanced civilization like the ones that apparently are contacting us, or are human beings kind of capped? Are we always going to be at this level? Are we never are we ever going to have a revolution of consciousness or a uh, greater aspect where we're, we act different than the way humans have traditionally acted? Human animals, like all other animals and all other creatures in the universe evolve in accordance with biology and humans will never evolve into something more than what they are. I saw was in the afterlife that there's a third species of humans, you know, currently evolving. You you can't even tell the difference between them and and the current species that you and I are. So there's never going to be a huge leap in the capabilities of humans, according to what I saw in the afterlife. And I saw the entire future of earth, what people think is human personality and human character and human capabilities are actually those of the soul. Humans never mature. They age, but they don't mature. The, the wisdom and the experience is actually that of the soul. It's the soul that matures. It's the soul that goes on to greater heights that is able to use the body to achieve greater achievements. Awesome. Whether whether or not humans will ever behave better than what they are now is going to depend upon whether the souls inside them are willing to take control 
control the behavior, control the violence, control the all the horrible things that are happening in our world right now. I see it. I actually think because I wonder if um, when I've had we've had the gentleman, well, the work of Dr. Stephen Greer, who had he's a, he's a person who's involved in UFO disclosure, and he had an experience, a near death experience that has a lot of rhymes to yours where he said he, he became one with the one consciousness or source and according to him he said that they the the civil the universe is teetering with, with other civilizations they have various planets and civilizations that are completely united that have you know mastered the art of uh, interdimensional travel that can do things but you know they're growing they're like a type two or type three civilization he says well earth is a type zero civilization because humans one that they, they they use the resources of the earth, fossil fuels. He says that that's a, that's a thing. They haven't uh, tapped into zero point energy and they're at odds with each other. And he also said that, uh, I, I can't really put these words into the mouth, but I get the impression that humans are, are existential threats to themselves and to other civilization. So from based on what I told you about Stephen Greer, do you kind of agree with that? Do you think human beings for the most part are always going to be limited to earth that they're never really going to have uh, established relationships with other civilizations, or are we pretty much um, you know, stuck to ourselves? It's impossible to know. Like I say, I saw the future of Earth and all the way to the destruction of Earth as a, a livable planet, and I saw no interactions with aliens, none at all. None. But but when I had that, when I was shown that history of and future of Earth. Uh, while I was in the afterlife, it was in 1994. And one of the things that was impressed strongly upon me is that we souls, we parts of source that are incarnated, manifest life moment by moment. So everything can change. Everything will change because we're manifesting differently as time goes on. So in the future, uh, is it possible for humans to have any kind of contact or relationship with aliens? I don't know. It would depend upon what we souls are manifesting as we go along. But I will tell you that in the afterlife, humans are considered to be primitive, backward, parochial, narrow-minded, conceited, self-absorbed, you know, primitive beings that's awesome i feel the same way about humans i that's awesome <laughs> i totally like i totally well i think it's way. kind of it's kind of offensive but i don't know offensive. no, no, no I, I think i think this is great because i i feel this way when i tell people about this they're like no no this is cool when you were looking at the destruction of earth is that something in the, in the near future is that something you know millions of years from now what is earth like are human beings left when the earth finally gets destroyed and what what causes it i i don't remember what causes it the only thing while i was watching it i I remember saying to myself oh it goes just like mars did so whatever was responsible for the direct for the destruction of mars as a livable planet and it was a livable planet mars was um mars was but whatever happened there is going to happen to earth and i don't remember whether humans were still on the earth, you know, shortly before that happened. See, Ryan, when, you know, when I was in the afterlife, it was my time to die. You know, I was done. I wasn't coming back. It was over. And so even though I saw the entire, you know, future of earth, 
I didn't really care because I wasn't going to be here, you know? So I, I didn't make any effort to remember that much about it. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, much later in my experience when I was, um, realized, you know, I woke up to the knowledge that I'm source and I, I kept saying to myself, well, somebody needs to tell those people down there, you know, somebody needs to tell those people what I've learned and what I've experienced. And obviously the pick was me because <laughs> I was the one that had the learning and the experience. And I, you know, came back to life. It wasn't until then that I cared what happened on earth. And I tried to remember some things and I, you know, I, I remembered a lot from that experience, but I just didn't remember that. I wonder if it's human beings because it, it's really strange right now that uh, there are a lot of people that don't that not really that concerned that world war three could happen I and mean, we've had some people on the show saying well we're in the process of world war three it's starting right now and you would think that you would have people that would do everything they could to advocate for peace and say like let's let's be peaceful you know there's no reason to to, to, to have new. and people who are uh i guess i could call them the powers that should be they, they're, they're fully comfortable with the idea of a nuclear war I don't understand why. I cannot likely understand why anyone would be a, a, want that to happen, and why most people on Earth, who's you know, who has a vested interest in being alive, aren't like you know doing something about it. It's just it's just very strange. And uh, I think people who are pro peace, they're looked at, at the weird ones. So, do you see or sense anything that we could have a situation like that where there could be uh, a nuclear war? Because a Six months ago, maybe it wasn't going to be so much, or maybe a year ago. I don't think this conversation was coming up and wasn't something on. But based on you know your sensitivity, based on how you see the world, is that something that you think we could be moving towards, or is that just something that's just you know human thinking and it's just a bad dream situation? When I watched Earth's future and the afterlife, uh, I did not see any global wars. I did not see any nuclear wars. But again, you know, that can all change because, you know, we souls inside humans have been manifesting. And the problem is we manifest into physical reality what we truly and deeply believe. And if enough humans believe that war is inevitable or that war is appropriate or desirable or, you know, whatever else, they can manifest it happening. So we're kind of at the mercy of those who are not focusing their efforts on peace. Peace. See, I wish more people were, uh, were pro-peace. <laughs> it's just really strange. When a person wants to, I mean, I, I want to ask you this. I think I've asked this before, but I want to ask it a little bit differently. If uh, People who do worry about those who, who they've lost, is it, what are some of the things that they can be reassured about? I mean, do people who have crossed over, they usually consult and speak with those who are with them? Do they consult with them? Do they do like do parents who have died, do grandparents have died? Do they generally stay around their friends and loved ones and consult with them? And can you, can you speak directly to them and how do they communicate with you? Well, there's, there's a lot of pieces to that answer. Um, when I was in the afterlife, I received, you know, uh, what I call knowings and knowings are some other afterlife experiencers call them universal knowledge. It's, it's, it's all the knowledge the source itself has. And those knowings basically told me that when souls incarnate, 
they don't put all of their energy into the incarnated being or, or thing. Some of us stays in the afterlife. And so to the part that's in the afterlife, the part that's incarnated just feels like it's asleep. You know, it's like if you're part of us that's still in the afterlife feels like the part that's incarnated is kind of like how we feel when we've got an arm or a leg asleep. You know, it's, it's just asleep. It's not really bothering us. It's just, you know, not doing anything. So the part that's in the afterlife doesn't really care what's going on with the incarnated part. I mean, we know when we're in the afterlife that, you know, the part of us that's incarnated is perfectly safe, that, you know, nothing, it, nothing's going to happen to it, that it's not, the um, soul can't be destroyed. It can't be, you know, prevented from returning to the source. So we don't worry about it. And we don't worry about, you know, our family members. And in fact, when we're, when we're in the afterlife, we're with our family members. We're with our loved ones. They're all in the afterlife with us. You know, the part of them that didn't incarnate, they're right there. You know, so we don't really concern ourselves with the part that's incarnated. Um, There's no need to do that. But if we want to, we can communicate with the parts, with the part of us that's still incarnated and we can incarnate with a part not incarnate we can communicate with the parts that are incarnated of our loved ones the easiest way to do it is through dreams okay and unfortunately you know the the person who's dreaming doesn't usually remember it when they wake up but that's the easiest way to communicate that's the way that they do it and if you were to say, for example, you have a grandfather or grandmother and you want to tell them that you love them, say, Grandma, Grandpa, I love you so much. You know, I wish you were here. Is there any way to tell that they listen, that they're hearing you and then that you that you that they're receiving your communication? And how do not you know? really. No, not really. Not unless, you know, like maybe they would show up like before I had the the series of cancer surgeries in 2011, I um dreamed uh, about my mother well actually she just she appeared in in a dream and started telling me you know what was going to happen and what the future was going to be like and because I was convinced that I was going to die during that surgery because I died during the first set of cancer surgeries you know I thought well this is you know perfect bookend (laughs) to my life well she started explaining to me why I wasn't going to die and what things were going to be like and I didn't remember when I woke up what she said I just remember that she did tell me that um, but so I was able to communicate with her, you know, my love, and I've had other dreams where she appeared and, you know, told me, you know, what to do. And, and, you know, we were able to express our love to each other, but that's, you know, it happens now and then, but it's, like I said, I think that's the best way to communicate with our deceased loved ones is through dreams or just thinking about them okay. you know kind of like what people would call prayer uh, and with that person i mean before a person like, getting you die and my understanding is that you know you can come back and you can reincarnate do spirits generally wait until all the family members have crossed over and friends have crossed over before they reincarnate i mean if a if a spirit has reincarnated into another human being Will it still, will that spirit still communicate with you 
from the perspective of his former lifetime. So for example, again, you have a uh, uncle who passes and you wish to communicate with him and you wish to say wonderful things to him. But at one time, he his spirit has reincarnated already. Does do you still communicate with the um, with your uncle, or is that is that your uncle no longer available because he's gone on and, and taken on another form? Well, like I say, only part of us incarnates; the rest stays in the afterlife. Okay. And and the, you know we're no we're not human. Once we get into the afterlife, we're no longer your uncle or your father or your grandparent. And in fact, you know, I learned while I was in the afterlife that my five closest, dearest, most beloved of friends had never incarnated with me. Wow. They were never in a family with me. They were never, they, they were never anything with me, you know? So the people that we love in the afterlife can be completely different than the people that we love in human life. We can still love the people in the in that we have loved in human life while we're in the afterlife, but our, Love can extend to bunches and bunches and bunches of other souls that have nothing whatsoever to do with the human life we lived. That's um, pretty cool because you know if some if you if you know, maybe that, that you're out there and you know you're not really hitting it off with certain people out here. You got like five new pals in the afterlife for you right there. That's great. Yeah, so it's like you know people um, assume that life in the afterlife is going to be like human life, and it isn't anything at all like human life. And, and we don't care about human life once we're in the afterlife. Cool. I, it's, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And one thing I, I always find, like, well, that came from organized religion or I escaped from organized religion. I was always afraid of going, <laughs> I was always afraid of going to hell. And like, you know, at this point I've done, I'm, I'm going to hell in every religion. So technically speaking, but it's like, um, if a person has his beliefs, I mean, at this point now, does it really matter? If you live a, a life of your kind or a life where you're mean, does it really matter? Is this, does it really matter if you're good or bad? From a an existential standpoint, no, it doesn't because you're okay. going. Everybody returns to the afterlife, regardless of what they've done in physical life. But the emotional impact will be there, both in human life and in the afterlife. So in human life, if you're a bad person, you're going to have emotional impact from that. People aren't going to like you. You're going to have, you know, negative experiences. Um, You know, it's going to create a bad life and an unhappy life for you. In the afterlife, you know, you'll, you'll have a life review and you'll relive every single thing that you did, not only from your perspective, but from the perspective of everybody else that was involved in the event. And you will have to feel exactly what all those other people felt so if you were mean to somebody you will feel that and you will feel it for as long as they felt it there's no time in the afterlife so you can have a lifetime of suffering in 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 a moment or two so it's it's and you will be embarrassed by your behavior i was embarrassed by some of the things i did you know what during my life review i thought you know what kind of a you know, whatever, blank, 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 would act like that. Um, and you will, you will suffer the disappointment in, in how you behaved and how you performed and how you didn't show unconditional love. So there's, there are a lot of emotional repercussions um, on both sides of the veil So being a bad person. It's just generally good to, I mean, it seems like it's very all the more motivation to be a good person. I mean, I, one thing I'm not looking forward to during my life review is I've done certain things on elevators and left the elevators. And you can imagine what I've done 
And I, I know I'm going to be, <laughs> I will be dealing with those. And I feel awful because I got a lot of that coming back to me. I just, I, my wife will probably wish she could be there during the life of you. Can somebody like, you know, if, if you've lived a part of your life that's kind of entertaining, is it, and this is just kind of like a weird, probably a weird question, but can you actually pull people in and say, Hey, by the way, I did this. I had this thing happen to me. You want to watch this? I mean, is that, can you actually show people some of the things that you've done and kind of put your life review on like a TV screen for somebody in the afterlife? Well, there are a couple ways that, that can happen. Uh, one, it's like during my life review, the first time I died, uh, my five uh, dearest friends were there with me. Mm-hmm. And, and they not only watched, but they popped in and out of my life. And so, yeah, they, they could experience anything in my life that they wanted to. And then there's a later stage, like, what people call heaven is actually the incarnation stage of eternal life. There are later stages where you can literally merge into another, what we call soul and, and feel and experience their lifetime or snippets of it. Um, So they could experience your, your funny moments and what you've done in elevators Oh my goodness. Um, by merging into you. <laughs> Jeez, well, if anything proves certain, I probably won't I probably will not be that popular in the afterlife. <laughs> I'm, not po- I'm not gonna merge into you, right? Yeah, now. I don't want to merge into me. <laughs> yes, yes. Um all right, should, I want to try to put this out to some people. Um to try I'm gonna try to explain this as best I can. Uh if we are all part of source, which is one prime being, the supreme being, one consciousness, and we are all imaginations of points of attraction and manifestations of source, I wonder why would source need to create a higher self or a spirit that would take on many of these different manifestations and kind of see these experiences through the perspective of a higher self? Why wouldn't source just be take a point of itself and express itself through these human forms, why would it need to have a higher self on top of the, the human body or the physical manifestations to experience it? Like, is that a, just an added perspective? I mean, what, what's the purpose of having a higher self? Why couldn't source just, you know, see things as a point of attraction for whatever physical incarnation it chose at that time? What are you calling a higher self? Uh, the higher self would be the, um, let's see, the eternal spirit. So you, you and I, uh, we are source. We are one, we are part of the, being one supreme being the one supreme consciousness but my understanding is that once we get out of our body we have our spirit our spirit incarnates in the body our spirit remembers all of our other life incarnations so the it is the spirit that's particularly assigned to one physical incarnation so i call it that higher self or the spirit that incarnates throughout various times okay um i call those light beings um the way i understand it and and this has been reinforced by what I read by other afterlife experiencers who've been through the same experience, is that you know, source is an energy field, not a being. Okay. It is infinite, it is vast, vast beyond our wildest imaginations. It's way too much energy to be able to directly incarnate into anything. It would just blow the physical matter up. So it takes small parts of its energy and assigns personality traits to those small parts. And that's what I call a light being. And that might be what you're calling a, a higher self. Yeah. And it's those small bundles of energy that incarnate. But it's just like a, 
an author has characters, you know, a novelist has book characters in, in his or her mind. And, you know, it assigns, the author assigns personalities and, and, you know, behaviors to each book character. That's what we are to source. We're not like really separate beings or separate selves or separate anything. It's just a way of talking about something that doesn't have any words that adequately describe it. So it's source putting part of its own consciousness and self-awareness directly into physical matter, all of physical matter. But it's not its, it's, not its whole self because That's that would blow, blow it up. So is, is the light being kind of like a mediator between the, the, the totality of what source is and the physical no. form? No, 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 no. The light being is source. It's just a mental character. Okay. It's just, it's just like if you have a, you know, on your radio show, let's say you had the persona of um, a crazy person. That crazy person doesn't really exist. It's just a persona in your mind. It's some, okay. it's a role that you play. So what I'm calling light beings are these mental characters in source's mind. They're not separate in any way. Okay. So they're part of it. It's just, it's just, it's just a terminology. It's just a way to, to talk about things and they're not intermediaries. They're not anything. They're literally parts of source's own self-awareness. Well, it's very, that's really fascinating. And some people just think that all life is about is life in the physical form. And I wonder when you have light beings or the spirits that, that will incarnate into the bodies, do light beings carry with them, within themselves certain personality qualities and characteristics that are similar to various life incarnations or is every life incarnation an experience where they'll take on a variety or different personality qualities based on what they're here to learn or what their you know lesson is. My understanding is that the character of each of these mental characters or these you know book characters and sources mind is set before incarnation, before okay. any kind of incarnation, and that what humans think is a human personality really isn't it's the soul's personality all humans have the same personality which isn't really any more sophisticated than a dog or a cat or a horse or a pig (laughs) or a cow you know animals don't have um the richness of personality that we think of as ourselves but what we think of as ourselves is not the human it's the soul Okay. And that personality is the same no matter what we're incarnated into. Now, how we behave is going to be determined by what we're inside of. So it's like if, if you're in a human body and you, one of your character traits is a good sense of humor, you'll be able to d- exhibit a good sense of humor. If you're inside a tree, it's, it's, there are going to be limited opportunities to show that you've got a good sense of humor. Got it. So just to kind of come back, the the people that we are today, the people who are listening right now, we predetermine like a creation and sources mind, and we are a a manifestation of what source created that, and the, the light being is kind of occupying. Because what, the way I'm hearing this right now, I know I didn't mean this sound confusing, but I wonder is it like um an actor playing a role where you have the one actor that you know that is the person that's doing this, but the actor plays multiple roles? Is that kind of like what that the light being is to? Uh, these in physical life incarnations. 
So like Nicolas Cage yeah. does a variety of roles, but you know, we know he's Nicolas Cage is, is the same thing like the, that the light being is like, okay, well, we know it's light being is this particular type being, but the light being takes all these different forms and it, it, it drives a variety of vehicles of uh, exploration in the physical form. In a way, it's like for source, it would be like playing a role. Each light being character would be like playing a role. But let's say the the part of source that is currently inside Ryan, mm-hmm. that soul will not have a different personality depending upon what it's incarnated into. It's like if you re- reincarnate into, you know, Joe the dog, you're not going to have a different personality than you have inside of Ryan. So you're right. not going to play a different role. You might have a different body, but you don't play a different role. You're still you. Got it. This is so fascinating. It's so deep. I, I, I love yeah. it. I, I love this so much because yeah, I, 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 I think about this stuff all the time. And I always like, you know, want to explore and the human body. So, so that it, uh, Nancy, um, a uh, couple more questions. And one of them is your experience. And um, I mean, do you, because you, you've come back because you've had something so traumatically happen, you've had an after death experience are you more sensitive to people right now? Are you able to pick up on certain things about people and, um, and they're, you know, where they're going or whether or not they have an exit time here? I mean, do you, do you see the world dramatically different? Do you have certain uh, intuitions and senses that you never had before? No different than I had before I've died. Okay. I've, I've always been clairaudient, uh, clairvoyant, precognitive, clairsentient. Um, I've always had some medical intuition and it, it hasn't really changed since I had the afterlife experiences. Okay. Do you think that, uh, what, is there anything that a person can do to improve their life right away? Because right now that they may, they may be stuck and they may be in a situation where things aren't going good for them, but based on your experience of being out of the body, is there anything that they can do right away that, that will kind of uh, accelerate their life, make them feel better or make them feel more connected with their spirit? I think there are two things. One way to, you know, I, I, I don't like the terminology being connected to their spirit. They mm-hmm. are the spirit. You know, we are not the bodies. We are the souls. So you can't be, you're basically saying, is there a way that they could be more connected to themselves? No, you can't be more connected to yourself. You are yourself. Now, can they be more aware that they're the soul? Absolutely. And that comes through enlightenment, enlightenment or awareness or waking up. And it it can be triggered by all kinds of different things. And that's one of the reasons why I've written my books and the reasons why I do presentations is in the hopes that something I say will trigger an awakening in somebody and trigger them to become aware of who and what they really are and what their powers are. The second thing is you, anybody can vastly improve their life through conscious manifesting and by repairing the erroneous beliefs that they have been unconsciously manifesting into their life. Like for example, a small child erroneously comes to believe that uh, he or she is ugly based upon 
you know, just offhand comments that are made around them, you know, and like little kids take in everything and they make rules. You know, they want to please their parents. They want to please the people around them. So they make rules. Don't do this. Do do that. You know, they they come up with all these beliefs to try to please others. And a lot of those beliefs are just crazy, but they will spend an entire lifetime manifesting events that prove their beliefs are true, even though their beliefs are false. So the little kid who, who comes to believe that they are ugly will spend his or her entire lifetime denying the reality of, of what they see in the mirror and believing that they are ugly, and they will act like an ugly person when that, in fact, is not true. It's very fascinating that you would say that. You would say that it gets some of these things the other way that they're living. So if people were to do therapy and they think about and go back to when they were kids and kind of correct some of the things, or if somebody were to apologize to somebody they made fun of when they were a kid, can that, in theory, shatter some of those long-held beliefs and change the trajectory of whatever they're manifesting as an adult? I think it can. Now, one thing I have come to understand um, just through my own experience is that it's not a good idea to relive childhood events because that just re-traumatizes you and reinforces the erroneous belief. What I'm talking about doing is figuring out what you currently believe about a particular thing. You know, it's like, what do you currently believe about your looks? What do you believe about your nose? What do you believe about your hair? What do you believe? You know, look at those beliefs and not try to figure out where they came from or, or, you know, try to relive childhood traumas around what you look like, but just figure out what the beliefs are and then look at yourself objectively and listen to people who you believe and are truthful to and find out, well, do I have a big nose or not? You know, let's look at the data, you know, get some light on the subject, get some facts on the subject and, you know, dissipate that old erroneous belief so that you will start manifesting different behaviors, different opportunities, different events based upon a new belief that, Hey, you're kind of good looking, you know? (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I've had uh, multiple scientists confirm that I do have, in fact, four chins. So I'm going to work on that thing. But uh, I'm going to get this human to to start loving exercising pretty soon. <laughs> that doesn't make you unattractive. <laughs> oh, we're, going to, we're going to work on that. Ms. Nancy L. Dannison, doctorate. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Nancy is a uh, one of our most profound, wonderful guests. She's come back several times. She's a best-selling author. She's a life coach. Highly recommend you go to her, check her out. Go to backwardsbooks.com and on our website, you can get her books. You can also listen to some of her other uh, seminars and sessions. Uh, Nancy, love you. It is so awesome to have you as always. Thanks, Ryan. Love you too. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love and beer.
taking care and thank you so much for listening.